Chapter Ten of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Ten: Supposed Intensity of Aqueous Forces at Remote Periods intensity of aqueous causes slow accumulation of strata proved by fossils rate of denudation can only keep pace with deposition erratics and effects of ice deluges and the causes to which they are referred supposed universality of ancient deposits intensity of aqueous causes the great problem considered in the preceding chapters namely whether the former changes of the earth made known to us by geology resemble in kind and degree those now in daily progress may still be contemplated from several other points of view we may inquire for example whether there are any grounds for the belief entertained by many that the intensity both of aqueous and of igneous forces in remote ages far exceeded that which we witness in our own time first then as to aqueous causes it has been shown in our history of the science that woodward did not hesitate in sixteen ninety five to teach that the entire mass of fossiliferous strata contained in the earth's crust had been deposited in a few months and consequently as their mechanical and derivative origin was already admitted the reduction of rocky masses into mud sand and pebbles the transportation of the same to a distance and their accumulation elsewhere in regular strata were all assumed to have taken place with a rapidity unparalleled in modern times this doctrine was modified by degrees in proportion as different classes of organic remains such as shells corals and fossil plants had been studied with attention analogy led every naturalist to assume that each full-grown individual of the animal or vegetable kingdom had required a certain number of months or years for the attainment of maturity and the perpetuation of its species by generation and thus the first approach was made to the conception of a common standard of time without which there are no means whatever of measuring the comparative rate at which any succession of events has taken place at two distinct periods this standard consisted of the average duration of the lives of individuals of the same genera or families in the animal and vegetable kingdoms and the multitude of fossils dispersed through successive strata implied the continuance of the same species for many generations at length the idea that species themselves had had a limited duration arose out of the observed fact that sets of strata of different ages contained fossils of distinct species finally finally the opinion became general that in the course of ages 
one assemblage of animals and plants had disappeared after another again and again and new tribes had started into life to replace them denudation in addition to the proofs derived from organic remains the forms of stratification led also on a fuller investigation to the belief that sedimentary rocks had been slowly deposited but it was still supposed that denudation or the power of running water and the waves and currents of the ocean to strip off superior strata and lay bare the rocks below had formerly operated with an energy wholly unequalled in our times these opinions were both illogical and inconsistent because deposition and denudation are parts of the same process and what is true of the one must be true of the other their speed must be always limited by the same causes and the conveyance of solid matter to a particular region can only keep pace with its removal from another so that the aggregate of sedimentary strata in the earth's crust can never exceed in volume the amount of solid matter which has been ground down and washed away by running water how vast then must be the spaces which this abstraction of matter has left vacant how far exceeding in dimensions all the valleys however numerous and the hollows however vast which we can prove to have been cleared out by aqueous erosion the evidences of the work of denudation are defective because it is the nature of every destroying cause to obliterate the signs of its own agency but the amount of reproduction in the form of sedimentary strata must always afford a true measure of the minimum of denudation which the earth's surface has undergone erratics the next phenomenon to which the advocates of the excessive power of running water in times past have appealed is the enormous size of the blocks called erratic which lie scattered over the northern parts of europe and north america unquestionably a large proportion of these blocks have been transported far from their original position for between them and the parent rocks we now find not unfrequently deep seas and valleys intervening or hills more than a thousand feet high to explain the present situation of such travelled fragments a deluge of mud has been imagined by some to have come from the north bearing along with it sand gravel and stony fragments some of them hundreds of tons in weight this flood in its transient passage over the continents dispersed the boulders irregularly over hill valley and plain or forced them along over a surface of hard rock so as to polish it and leave it indented with parallel scratches and grooves such markings as are still visible in the rocks of scandinavia scotland canada and many other countries there can be no doubt that the myriads of angular and rounded blocks above alluded to cannot have been borne along by ordinary rivers or marine currents so great is their volume and weight and so clear are the signs in many places of time having been occupied 
in their successive deposition for they are often distributed at various depths through heaps of regularly stratified sand and gravel no waves of the sea raised by earthquakes nor the bursting of lakes dammed up for a time by landslips or by avalanches of snow can account for the observed facts but i shall endeavour to show in the next book chapter fifteen that a combination of existing causes may have conveyed erratics into their present situations the causes which will be referred to are first the carrying power of ice combined with that of running water and second the upward movement of the bed of the sea converting it gradually into land without entering at present into any details respecting these causes i may mention that the transportation of blocks by ice is now simultaneously in progress in the cold and temperate latitudes both of the northern and southern hemisphere as for example on the coasts of canada and gulf of st lawrence and also in chile patagonia and the island of south georgia in those regions the uneven bed of the ocean is becoming strewed over with ice-drifted fragments which have either stranded on shoals or been dropped in deep water by melting bergs the entanglement of boulders in drift ice will also be shown to occur annually in north america and these stones when firmly frozen into ice wander year after year from labrador to the st lawrence and reach points of the western hemisphere farther south than any part of great britain the general absence of erratics in the warmer parts of the equatorial regions of asia africa and america confirms the same views as to the polishing and grooving of hard rocks it has lately been ascertained that glaciers give rise to these effects when pushing forward sand pebbles and rocky fragments and causing them to grate along the bottom nor can there be any reasonable doubt that icebergs when they run aground on the floor of the ocean must imprint similar marks upon it it is unnecessary therefore to refer to deluges or even to speculate on the former existence of a climate more severe than that now prevailing in the western hemisphere to explain the geographical distribution of most of the european erratics deluges as deluges have been often alluded to i shall say something of the causes which may be supposed to give rise to these grand movements of water in addition to those already alluded to geologists who believe that mountain chains have been thrown up suddenly at many successive epochs imagine that the waters of the ocean may be raised by these convulsions and then break in terrific waves upon the land sweeping over whole continents hollowing out valleys and transporting sand gravel and erratics to great distances the sudden rise of the alps or andes it is said may have produced a flood even subsequently to the time when the earth became the residence of man but it seems strange that none of the writers who have indulged their imaginations in conjectures of this kind should have ascribed a deluge to the sudden conversion of part 
of the unfathomable ocean into a shoal rather than to the rise of mountain chains in the latter case the mountains themselves could do no more than displace a certain quantity of atmospheric air whereas the instantaneous formation of the shoal would displace a vast body of water which being heaved up to a great height might roll over and permanently submerge a large portion of a continent if we restrict ourselves to combinations of causes at present known it would seem that the two principal sources of extraordinary inundations are first the escape of the waters of a large lake raised far above the sea and secondly the pouring down of a marine current into lands depressed below the mean level of the ocean as an example of the first of these cases we may take lake superior which is more than four hundred geographical miles in length and about one hundred fifty in breadth having an average depth of from five hundred to nine hundred feet the surface of this vast body of fresh water is no less than six hundred feet above the level of the ocean the lowest part of the barrier which separates the lake on its southwest side from those streams which flow into the headwaters of the mississippi being about six hundred feet high if therefore a series of subsidences should lower any part of this barrier six hundred feet any subsequent rending or depression even of a few yards at a time would allow the sudden escape of vast floods of water into a hydrographical basin of enormous extent if the event happened in the dry season when the ordinary channels of the mississippi and its tributaries are in a great degree empty the inundation might not be considerable but if in the flood season a region capable of supporting a population of many millions might be suddenly submerged but even this event would be insufficient to cause a violent rush of water and to produce those effects usually called diluvial for the difference of level of six hundred feet between lake superior and the gulf of mexico when distributed over a distance of eighteen hundred miles would give an average fall of only four inches per mile the second case before adverted to is where there are large tracts of dry land beneath the mean level of the ocean it seems after much controversy to be at length a settled point that the caspian is really eighty-three feet six inches lower than the black sea as the caspian covers an area about equal to that of spain and as its shores are in general low and flat there must be many thousand square miles of country less than eighty-three feet above the level of that inland sea and consequently depressed below the black sea and mediterranean this area includes the site of the populous city of astrakhan and other towns into this region the ocean would pour its waters if the land now intervening between the sea of azoth and the caspian should subside yet even if this event should occur it is most probable that the submergence of the whole region would not be accomplished simultaneously but by a series of minor floods 
the sinking of the barrier being gradual supposed universality of ancient deposits the next fallacy which has helped to perpetuate the doctrine that the operations of water were on a different and grander scale in ancient times is founded on the indefinite areas over which homogeneous deposits were supposed to extend no modern sedimentary strata it is said equally identical in mineral character and fossil contents can be traced continuously from one quarter of the globe to another but the first propagators of these opinions were very slightly acquainted with the inconstancy in mineral composition of the ancient formations and equally so of the wide spaces over which the same kind of sediment is now actually distributed by rivers and currents in the course of centuries the persistency of character in the older series was exaggerated its extreme variability in the newer was assumed without proof in the chapter which treats of river deltas and the dispersion of sediment by currents and in the description of reefs of coral now growing over areas many hundred miles in length i shall have opportunities of convincing the reader of the danger of hasty generalizations on this head in regard to the imagined universality of particular rocks of ancient date it was almost unavoidable that this notion when once embraced should be perpetuated for the same kinds of rocks have occasionally been reproduced at successive epochs and when once the agreement or disagreement in mineral character alone was relied on as the test of age it followed that similar rocks if found even at the antipode were referred to the same era until the contrary could be shown now it is usually impossible to combat such an assumption on geological grounds so long as we are imperfectly acquainted with the order of superposition and the organic remains of these same formations thus for example a group of red marl and red sandstone containing salt and gypsum being interposed in england between the leas and the coal all other red marls and sandstones associated some of them with salt and others with gypsum and occurring not only in different parts of europe but in north america peru india the salt deserts of asia those of africa in a word in every quarter of the globe were referred to one and the same period the burden of proof was not supposed to rest with those who insisted on the identity in age of all these groups their identity in mineral composition was thought sufficient it was in vain to urge as an objection the improbability of the hypothesis which implies that all the moving waters on the globe were once simultaneously charged with sediment of a red colour but the rashness of pretending to identify in age all the red sandstones and marls in question has at length been sufficiently exposed by the discovery that even in europe they belong decidedly to many different epochs it is already ascertained that the red sandstone and red marl containing the rock salt of cardona in catalonia is newer than the oolitic 
if not more modern than the cretaceous period it is also known that certain red marls and variegated sandstones in auvergne which are undistinguishable in mineral composition from the new red sandstone of english geologists belong nevertheless to the eocene period and lastly the gypseous red marl of aix in provence formerly supposed to be a marine secondary group is now acknowledged to be a tertiary freshwater formation in nova scotia one great deposit of red marl sandstone and gypsum precisely resembling in mineral character the new red of england occurs as a member of the carboniferous group and in the united states near the falls of niagara a similar formation constitutes a subdivision of the silurian series nor was the nomenclature commonly adopted in geology without its influence in perpetuating the erroneous doctrine of universal formations such names for example as chalk green sand oolite red marl coal and others were given to some of the principal fossiliferous groups in consequence of mineral peculiarities which happened to characterize them in the countries where they were first studied when geologists had at length shown by means of fossils and the order of superposition that other strata entirely dissimilar in color texture and composition were of contemporaneous date it was thought convenient still to retain the old names that these were often inappropriate was admitted but the student was taught to understand them in no other than a chronological sense so that the chalk might not be a white cretaceous rock but a hard dolomitic limestone as in the alps or a brown sandstone or green marl as in new jersey u s in like manner the green sand it was said might in some places be represented by red sandstone red marl salt and gypsum as in the north of spain so the oolitic texture was declared to be rather an exception than otherwise to the general rule in rocks of the oolitic period and it often became necessary to affirm that no particle of carbonaceous matter could be detected in districts where the true coal series abounded in spite of every precaution the habitual use of this language could scarcely fail to instill into the mind of the pupil an idea that chalk coal salt red marl or the oolitic structure were far more widely characteristic of the rocks of a given age than was really the case there is still another cause of deception disposing us to ascribe a more limited range to the newer sedimentary formations as compared to the older namely the very general concealment of the newer strata beneath the waters of lakes and seas and the wide exposure above waters of the more ancient the chalk for example now seen stretching for thousands of miles over different parts of europe has become visible to us by the effect not of one but of many distinct series of subterranean movements time has been required 
and a succession of geological periods to raise it above the waves in so many regions and if calcareous rocks of the middle and upper tertiary periods have been formed as homogeneous in mineral composition throughout equally extensive regions it may require convulsions as numerous as all those which have occurred since the origin of the chalk to bring them up within the sphere of human observation hence the rocks of more modern periods may appear partial as compared to those of remoter eras not because of any original inferiority in their extent but because there has not been sufficient time since their origin for the development of a great series of elevatory movements in regard however to one of the most important characteristics of sedimentary rocks their organic remains many naturalists of high authority have maintained that the same species of fossils are more uniformly distributed through formations of high antiquity than in those of more modern date and that distinct zoological and botanical provinces as they are called which form so striking a feature in the living creation were not established at remote eras thus the plants of the coal the shells the trilobites of the silurian rocks and the ammonites of the oolite have been supposed to have a wider geographical range than any living species of plants crustaceans or mollusks this opinion seems in certain cases to be well founded especially in relation to the plants of the carboniferous epoch owing probably to the more uniform temperature of the globe at a time when the position of sea and land was less favorable to variations in climate according to principles already explained in the seventh and eighth chapters but a recent comparison of the fossils of north american rocks with those of corresponding ages in the european series has proved that the terrestrial vegetation of the carboniferous epoch is an exception to the general rule and that the fauna and flora of the earth at successive periods from the oldest silurian to the newest tertiary was as diversified as now the shells corals and other classes of organic remains demonstrate the fact that the earth might then have been divided into separate zoological provinces in a manner analogous to that observed in the geographical distribution of species now living End of chapter ten